Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. This is the Big Amelia Island Review, and I would like to make a special note that this does include the RM Sotheby's Open Roads May Sale uh, which is online only, and it's actually bridging over the actual Amelia Island Concourse Elegance event, as well as Arm Sotheby's big auction occurring at Amelia Island on Saturday, May the 22nd. As always, well, maybe not as always, but as frequent in the past, I've got a special guest here to keep our perspectives diverse and fun. I'd like to welcome Ramsey Potts. Ramsey, how you doing? Greg, always an honor to be a part of your special program. Hello to all your listeners globally. We are just a little bit out from, to me, what is one of the three best car events in all of North America. I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward, Greg, not just being at Amelia, but being with car people again, frankly, yeah. I am as well. Amelia Island was the last time that you and I were at a concourse together, and that was right before the world shut down last March. So it's absolutely fantastic that we're getting back out there again at such a stellar event. And as always, if you have not checked it out, be sure to check out the previous podcast. We did get Bill Warner on to share his ultimate garage, which was a lot of fun because it's hard to get a guy that's so used to so many amazing cars to narrow down to just the 10 that he would put in his ultimate garage. And we also had a special guest last week that we'll get to here shortly concerning the Cunningham Corvette. So a lot of good stuff to come here shortly. Uh, Appreciate everyone listening. A couple call-outs first. If you are going to Amelia Island and you would like to meet myself or Ramsey, feel free to uh, track us down. (laughs) Ramsey, you can't miss. Ramsey's always wearing a fedora with a three-piece suit, right, Ramsey? Yes, as a matter of fact. (laughs) <laughs> I will be the guy that's nicely dressed, not as nice as Ramsey, without a fedora hat, salt and pepper beard, looking around with a smile on my face, just looking at all these gorgeous cars. The other thing I'd like to mention is that I am starting some live streaming at Select Concord events coming up, starting with Sandhills Motoring Festival the following weekend, which Ramsey will be the MC. Is that right, Ramsey? No one ever says, what'd you say, Ramsey? They can always hear me. So that was an honor to be a part of that weekend. That's really actually a real fun, fun event down in the village of Pinehurst. Yeah, I've never been, so I'm very excited about that. Something else I wanted to call out that if you are not receiving my newsletter, which is only every four to six weeks because I do not get it out that frequently, please shoot me a note if you would like to be added to the subscription list. It's gstanley at rmsuthabees.com or greg at thecollectorcarpodcast.com. I do try to have some fun stuff behind the scenes snapshots of what's going on around the podcast world as well as the RM Sotheby's world with some cool pictures. 
Um, again, that's G. Stanley at rmsethelbees.com or Greg at the collectorcarpodcast.com. Shortly, I will be announcing an Instagram giveaway. Hopefully, it's a, some sort of cool car-related watch. So think Tag Hauer Formula One or Tag Hauer Carrera. It will not be a Rolex Daytona, unfortunately. <laughs> but hopefully, it will be something cool that you as my listeners will enjoy and would like to try to win. So, Ramsey, are you ready to start talking about some cool cars? Right, just back up one second here, Stanley. You're yeah. giving away a tag? That's the hope. That's the plan. You can try to win it as well. I'm going to say, <laughs> don't give me this I can't compete stuff because we work together or anything. Yeah, that's fantastic, <laughs> right? Only for you. Well, the first one might be one of the Porsche branded watches to kind of start off, you know, them kind of get going a little bit better there. So, yes. You can win, Ramsey, so please join in on the fun. I feel better. Now let's talk about some cars, Greg. Okay. Now these cars are available at RM Sotheby's Amelia Island sale coming up this weekend as we speak. Uh, Let's see. We're going to start with race cars. So typically I like to have the Haggerty valuation trends with this. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to pull it all together, but I still want to talk about the cars, and I know Ramsey's going to bring a fun and diverse perspective to it. So... Ramsey, the first car I'm calling out was actually a deep dive in last week's episode, the 1960 Chevrolet Corvette. This is one of the three Cunningham cars. Can you tell me anything about this car? This is one of those cars, right, Greg, that we have the good fortune of presenting to the world where it's value, the opportunity. Right, Greg, it's so much more than just the car. It is the history. You and I have had this conversation in the past. The history, the story, I think we talked about behind the car, are are what makes some of them so very special. I happen to be a pretty big Briggs Cunningham fan. He was someone that when I was a young man, he represented America's presence in Le Mans, in the entire European sports car scene. And your listeners know this. You have really smart listeners. They know about Briggs' history, and your European, your overseas listeners recognize uh, that name, of course, what do you think of when you think of Briggs? You think of Le Monstre, and you think of those unbelievable cars that he took over there. But here is one of the three Le Mans entered Briggs Cunningham cars. We have done extensive research on the vehicle, and we can say with absolute confidence, this is the car. This was the car that was there, headed down La Sarthe at Le Mans, down the Monson Strait, past Maison Blanche. This is this is real history, Greg. And I have to admit, just for me to be there, I don't think you and I are in the market. But I mean, I want to touch that car. I want to get a picture with that car. To me, that's as much celebrity as any person on the movies or TV. I agree, and I do actually know a little bit about this car, only because I did a deep dive last week, like I said. Kevin McKay was my guest on the show, and what was really fascinating is I did not realize this when I when I reached out to Kevin McKay. I just knew he was one of the experts of Corvettes, of big block Corvettes, of racing Corvettes, of prototype Corvettes, and I did not realize that he was so instrumental in finding this particular car, not only this particular car, but all three of these Cunningham Corvettes. So be sure to listen back. It took him about 30 years to find these cars, and the story is just truly amazing. And it was a lot of fun kind of digging into the history of that car with an expert who had been with it from the early 1990s trying to dig these up. So super cool car. It'll be interesting to see what happens when it does cross the auction block. Uh, it, like you said, it is one of the most historically significant Corvettes ever to be offered to the public. So that is something that we need to see. All right, the next one's 
really in your wheelhouse and not in my wheelhouse. It's a 1981 Porsche 924 Carrera GTR. What can you tell me about this car? I know you have a lot of Porsche listeners out there. I've spoken with some of them, and they are probably pretty excited about this. I certainly am. This is a car that represents, you know, there were a number of evolutions of this 924 Carrera, the the race car, uh, the GTR being essentially the ultimate, the Carrera GTR being essentially the ultimate iteration of this car. I cannot wait. I mean, here is a real special example. It's unmodified. This is, as you can say, as it was when it left the factory. Uh, it has lived a fairly quiet life. And I think, Greg, you and I have had this conversation. I know your listeners think about it, but there's, right, there's always that dilemma. You take a look at the car you just talked about, the Corvette. You look at its current condition. Well, it was a race car, right? And it has great race history. Here's a car that, though it presents uh, quite unmolested and, and as it left the factory, maybe the race history isn't quite as significant. Never really raced in, period. But such a rare, rare beast and this is from an era 1981 we've had this conversation that i hate to use the cliche but this is that era that is hot at the moment this is my era and i can totally relate to watching these cars uh, one of these uh, example like it one Le Mans, a set of bridgestone street tires it really is quite an incredible thing yes and i remember my first kind of exposure to how hot these are in the market was way back at our Taj Mahal garage sale. There was one there that was one of these 17 factory-built examples. And when I, this is before I was with Arm Sotheby's, and I was talking to each of the specialists. Unfortunately, I did not get to talk to you, Ramsey, that day. But every time I asked them, which car in this collection? Now, mind you, in this collection included a, a Carrera Speedster. It included you know a 993 Turbo that was immaculate. Just some really, really nice Porsche gems. Three of the specialists said it was the... 924 Carrera GTR. So that made me really stop and pay attention. And these folks are younger than me, so it's definitely their generation about what these cars are doing in the marketplace. Now, I don't remember what that one sold for, but I would guarantee it was probably less than this estimate because they have been appreciating lately, haven't they? They have. It's 1981. It's the Radwood era. There are a lot of people at the peak of their collecting times that they just have an emotional a real connection to cars from this era, certainly this. Now, speaking about cars I know absolutely nothing about, let's talk about the 1983 March Chevrolet 83G IMSA GTP Spirit of Miami. That's a mouthful for a race car. I know you have a little bit of a connection to the previous owner, correct? Yeah, one of the most revered respecters, especially of race cars, rally cars, Mr. Campion. Uh, The collection was down in Jacksonville, Florida, and I had the good fortune of visiting him a few times in the past. Most car collectors did. And, you know, Mr. Campion had an amazing connection to Amelia Island as well, having brought a number of great cars there. I have a connection to this race car, though. I grew up a major IMSA fan. To me, Formula One was always good. IndyCar was great. But sports cars were where it was at. This is my era, right? I'm a high school graduate in 86. I remember seeing this car race in multiple occasions. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi. I remember when Mr. Campion had the car at Amelia a couple years ago and Emerson was there and having a lot of fun with the car. Again, you have a car that has so much IMSA history in it. Uh, and that was a really unique time in IMSA. Yeah, I know your race car listeners know what that's all about. But look at these names. Randy Lanier, Emerson Fittipaldi, the Whittington brothers, 
uh, were part of the history of this car. And this is a car, Greg, that I hope whomever the new caretaker is, put it on the track. Get it out there with us at HSR and SVRA and have some fun. Get it back out there and get it roaring. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, really great. And I do know a little bit more about this next car. It's a 2014 Chevrolet SS NASCAR Jeff Gordon Editions. The only NASCAR I've ever had my picture taken in front of was actually a Jeff Gordon car at the Pepsi 400 in Daytona. So I don't know if you know much about this car. I just wanted to mention it because it does seem like there's an appetite for these. Uh, this is a pretty new one, but 2000s, you know, late 1990s uh, NASCARs that uh, folks are grabbing up when they're available. Do you have much to say about the Jeff Gordon NASCAR? You know, Greg, I, I refer to you on this one. I really do. But I will ask you a, a genuine question. So I did the Walter Mitty with our friend Marvin. We were in the race. And they had a real strong presence. There was quite the lineup of cars like this. These are not easy cars to manage. I, I can only imagine what they must be like to drive. And you know our colleague Donnie Gould races one. Uh, he is uh, intimately familiar with this group of cars. What is it, Greg? Is it just that ability to be in the car that, that you watched? Yeah, I guess it is. You know, that's the thing is I, I do want to do a deep dive on actual race cars because there is a market for them, but the market largely depends on usability, you know, and rarity. So if the car is so complex, you know, I know that, you know, Formula One cars are extremely complex, but we have seen the market rise on some of those based on who the drivers were in the you know, the track record, the win record for those cars. So it is a fascinating topic to explore, and I'd like to do it in the future. So stay tuned for that, because I guess we'll see what happens with this particular car. I know we had one or two that sold at Elkhart really strong, so it's interesting to see if these continue that increase in the marketplace. That's that's interesting point, Greg, because you're. I didn't think about it from that perspective, but I suspect in the world of contemporary race cars, I mean, coming from the 2000s, this is probably about as straightforward mechanically and driveline as you can get. You just talked about the IMSA GTP car, and again, that's fairly straightforward. But even this car, even though it's, what, how many years newer, is probably still less complicated to maintain and track prep. Right, right. When you got that 350 Chevy V8 up front, it's not as intimidating as some of these other engines. <laughs> so, well, I do want to move away from race cars to the Italian exotics. This is one of the show cars or the headlining cars for the Amelia sale. It's a 1968 Ferrari 275 GTB4. And now I had a chance to really look at these up close at Cavallino Classic a couple weeks ago. And not only are they just absolutely gorgeous cars, but they're one of the pinnacle cars for Ferrari, correct? Without a doubt. When it comes to true grand touring cars from the 60s, I mean, there are a few manufacturers that fill the bucket with amazing machines like the Prancing Horse. I personally, and the first time I really had a chance to, I say, be intimate with it, it was just that I was one that we had a black one that we had in our Paris auction a few years ago, and I was there. These machines are even more breathtaking and captivating in real life than they are ever in pictures. And I just, I can't even imagine what it must be like to head down the road with that enormous snout and that roaring Colombo-based V12 engine up front just pounding away. And here's the 4Cam, right? So truly, in the world of 275 GTBs, this is the pinnacle of those models. Right, right. Yeah, and I have neglected, I have not said the estimates on these cars, so I do want to start that. So this one, the estimate is 
to $2.8 million, and it's a very attractive light yellow. I don't know the exact. You would probably know the color. What is that color? Do you know? Shame on me, Greg. I do not know that. Uh, I do not. I have not, <laughs> not memorized the color on this car. That's okay. That's okay. Okay, the next one's another Ferrari. We've got a couple Ferraris here. And the reason I picked them is we're seeing some interesting trend lines that are happening. It differs by model. So this one is a 1971 Ferrari 365 GTS 4 Daytona Spider. And this one's pretty interesting because Daytona Spiders and Daytonas in general have been a little bit soft lately. Not so much the convertibles as the coupes. So I'm curious to see what this one will do. It's the 36 of only 121 examples built. The estimate is 2.25 to $2.75 million. And it has all the good stuff. It's a beautiful color. Fewer than 13,500 original miles and known history from new, which is a big deal on these cars. What do you know about the Daytona Spider? Okay, Greg, let's, let's practice this together because it's one of my favorite words to say. Scaglietti, uh, the name of the designer, right? Ferrari had some great lineages, <laughs> Pininfarina, Bertone, but Scaglietti just, wow, that just sounds sexy. <laughs> to say it. This car is so cool. The color here, the Giallo Fly, this is yellow, right? And some cars just wear certain colors way better than others. And I would challenge a lot of folks to find cars. I think Lotus Esprit's do it well, 911s. But this car wears yellow so well. It has all the boxes ticked. Classic A certified, a, a platinum winner at Cavallino. What, what this car represents is essentially everything you could want if you want a spider with everything. And it's interesting, Greg. This is a car I've always been fascinated so good Daytona coupes, right? Good ones, great. Half a million, six for pinnacle-type cars. Maybe it's in the high sixes or sevens on hammers now. All you have to do is cut the top off, and you add another comma to the equation as far as the value is concerned. I, I always think that's really neat. It shows a real passion in the difference between the Spider and the Coupe. These are these are great cars. They sound amazing. They really do, and they are gorgeous cars. Now, the next one is related to it. It's actually a 1972, but it's not the convertible version. It's the Coupe, and I wanted to pick this one because there was one recently that went through 14 auctions. In 13 of the auctions, it was a no-sale, and as you looked at the prices achieved, it kept on going down after every auction. So I'm curious to see if these have bottomed out, and they're going to go back up. The estimate on this one is five hundred dollars to $600,000 which is very realistic because the particular one I'm talking about, I believe it sold for 580 and that's what I see as the bottom of the Daytona market. So I'm curious to see if these have started to rebound, and I think this will be a very telling car. Yeah. I mean, isn't it bizarre to think of a gateway drug as a half-a-million-dollar car, but if what you're seeking are classic Ferrari V12, front-engine V12 cars, I mean, there's 550s and 575s, but if you want to go back a little bit earlier to the carbureted cars, this is the car, right? It's the Miami Vice car. It, it, is, it is a statement. And there again, look at that. All you got to do is you take the seventh number off of it, move the comma back, and you get the same car with a hard top. Right. Yes, you do. Now, the next car is the 1992 Ferrari F40, one of the halo cars for Ferrari. I've always loved the F40, even back when I saw them, back when they were new, basically. I picked this one because... Uh, these have been hovering around one to 1 1.3, 1 1.4 million dollars for a long time, but it seems like they're going up. 
I, uh, I have a buddy of mine that was saying, I won't pay for one if it's over a million dollars. And I think that train has left the station at this point. <laughs> and this one is very low mileage, very desirable. 1.8 to $2.2 million on this car. Uh, what kind of comments do you have around the F40? I'm going to give your listeners an opportunity to make a bet with me and also get a good chuckle. I think, I, I hope, I guess maybe I shouldn't bet, but I can certainly say I hope that this vehicle, this F40, will represent potentially a world record hammer for the car. Yes, it is a very, I think, relatively low mile. They're certainly out there with fewer miles, but it is a very good example. It is a U.S. market car, and there is a difference between the U.S. and the Euro cars, but I'm going to give them a chance to laugh at me. Yes, because of my age, 1992, I was only out of college now a couple years, I am totally this car's generation greg I, I just i don't have a crystal ball we don't prognosticate and you know that especially if you work with rm subtabees i just believe that these cars will become in time maybe not quite the gtos of the next generation but i think there's going to come a time where these cars sell for 10 15 and they're going to be even more special in the years to come i, I really do i, I just this is such a statement car from Ferrari. I know they made a lot of them, too, compared to GTO and a lot of other cars that Ferrari made. But, I mean, it was. It was a it was a factory race car that you could put a license plate on. Right, and I originally had the F50 included in here. You know, a lot of folks, I don't care for the F50 as much. The, the looks just never quite clicked with me like the F40 did. Everything I've read, the F50 is a little bit better of a car now, the difference there is that there's only, what, 349 F50s, and so those are typically, they've been trading for typically twice what an F40 did, even though a lot of folks like the F40 more. To your point, quantity comes down to the number that were built, right? It does. It does. We've had that conversation as well. There's how many of them out there, the level of supply and demand. I don't know, Greg. I just, yes, make sure everybody knows that just because we're RM Sotheby's car special, it doesn't mean we still aren't petrol heads and we do have our particular passions. And wow, I just, I someday I want F40s to be all the Ferrari you could ever imagine. I, I will tell you, Greg, I differ than you. I like the F50. I did when it came out. I think it's pretty cool. It has aged well on me. I have enjoyed them more in the last couple of years. Uh, for some reason, it definitely has aged well. So the next one I'm going to let you just run with, the 1967 Fiat Dino Coupe. Tell me why this car is special. Well, I was hoping maybe, Greg, we actually couldn't talk about this car. Can we just edit all this out? Because uh, this is probably, in my opinion, the one car in this auction that I think I may take a bit or two. Greg, this thing is, this is an opportunity. So let's talk about this particular example. If you're out there, you're hearing our voice, and you thought, you know, someday I would like to own a, a really cool Italian car. And oh, by the way, I would like it to have a Ferrari beating heart inside of it with all of the sounds and the whirls and the bangs and the whistles of that incredible two-liter V6, five-speed manual transmission. I, I might have to put a challenge out and say, find something better. Because this particular car, Greg, is one of those rare opportunities where a passionate, passionate car collector, and I do mean passionate. He also happens to be quite a passionate Italian motorcycle collector who really knows his stuff. Bought this car a number of years ago, and I won't even begin to say the amount of money that was dedicated to its restoration. But it is well in the six figures 
And now we are selling the car, offering the car without reserve at a correct market value of $60,000 to $80,000. I know you're out there, and I know you're going to ask me, folks, when we get to Amelia, hey, Ramsey, what's a really special car? What's a great opportunity? If you want to buy a car for market value that represents an incredibly well-restored car, this is... This is just an amazing car. I mean, it's a it's a two liter. Greg, this is in the Ferrari Dinos. I mean, this right. is it just happens to be in a beautiful Grand Touring coupe body now. Well, I'm not going to edit this out, so you're going to have to bid against a couple other people. Okay, <laughs> there it goes. There it goes that spot in my garage, Greg. Thank you. Well, you don't have a lot of spots left, so I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> no, I'm quite genuine, though. This this is really. Even if you're not a bidder, come and take a look at this car. And when you begin that restoration of whatever it is you hope to someday make the way you want it, this is one of those cars where you can say, that's the level I wish to achieve. Right, right. Okay, now that's great. Now we are still in the world of Italian exotics for a couple more cars here. And I might have bidden off more than we can chew based on the number of cars we still have left to cover, but we'll keep on going. It's a 1966 Lamborghini 400 GT2 Plus 2 by Touring. Now I picked this car because, as you know, they were overlooked for many years, the 350 and the 400, and they seem to be gaining pace within the collector car marketplace. Beautiful cars. They're not the Countaches or the Diablos where they look like they're spaceships, you know, but they're still really cool cars. Now the estimate on this car is 475 to 550. Uh, what are your thoughts on this 400 GT? Mechanically restored, well presented. Of course, it's Italian, so it's in red. Greg, I do actually have an opinion on not just this particular Lamborghini, but on the cars of this genre. In other words, Grand Touring, more and more people are purchasing great collector cars and using them. They're using them. Hence our conversation earlier. They're racing them. And this Lamborghini versus, as you said, a Diablo or a Countach, which are all great cars, these are actually very usable, enjoyable over a 500, 700, 1,000 mile rally with your friends. And there is real value right now in that usability aspect of a Lamborghini. Yeah. And we do have one more car that's in the Italian category here. That's the 1959 Fiat Abarth 750 GT Double Bubble Coupe Zagato. Now, what can you tell me about this car? I know they're cute. I know they're high revving and I know they have that cool double bubble on the top. What else do we need to know about this car? Two words, giant killer. You're buying a car <laughs> that it's very Genesis. The progenitor himself, Carlos Abarth, was uh, all about taking a light car and putting a high revving. I mean, it's a less than 1,000 cc engine, 72 horsepower. But yet these things were dynamic on the racetrack, on the European rally circuits, uh, and great touring events because they were light. They were well laid out. They were balanced. And I will say this, Greg, because I have sat in multiple double bubbles of gatos. They are deceptively roomy inside. I happen to be a fan because it's a real small car and ingress and egress is no easy chore. But if, once you're in there, it's really quite a pleasant place to be. Oh, that's great. That's great to have your perspective as a tall gentleman. So that's really good. (laughs) Well, we are going to move from Italy to the UK. And now we're going to start with the 1965 Austin Healey 3000 Mark III. And now this is a car I've always loved. I always thought they were beautiful. This is the big one, isn't it? Yeah, Greg. 
And I don't know if you know this, Craig, I'm a big fan of British cars. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Two out of the three we're going to talk about are consignments of mine. This Austin Healey 3000, here's a car that not much unlike that Dino is an incredibly well restored. This has, <clears throat> excuse me, some BMC history. Knudsen did some of the work on this. And by that, I mean the British Motor Corporation up in Philadelphia. It comes with its certificate and a drivability. Let's talk about something, right? For you purists out there, this does not have the four-speed transmission comes with it. But this has the five-speed manual gearbox. And if you don't know, it's a Toyota, which what a lot of these five-speed upgrades on the Healy 3000s, the big Healy's as they call them, that's what this is. And this is a Mark III. It's the ultimate iteration, the ultimate evolution of the car. The small British car with the five-speed transmission. I really want this car. I really believe this car is going to do every bit of six figures because whoever buys it, I don't care if they're in California, they can get it in and drive it home. It's pretty cool, and it's beautiful. The green with the tan interior, it just has amazing contrast. Yes, and that's the reason I picked it, actually, was the Irish Mist Green. It wasn't the traditional British racing green. It was something different and beautiful, like you said. Well, the next one I am not familiar with, the 1954 Swallow Dorietti. Is that correct? Very good, Greg. Swallow Doretti. Uh, these are, you know, it's interesting. You don't see these very often, but when I do, they're actually at and are in Sotheby's auction. Uh, again, a light, live car that uh, does not necessarily have a big power plant. It's two-liter, four-cylinder, so for the time, that was pretty good. But because of its lightweight, because of its uh, easy uh, handling, they represent really fun cars to drive sort of an odd and interesting look isn't it it's almost like somebody took the austin healy 3000 and just pushed the front end in a little bit i'm told i don't have a lot of intimacy with these that for a car as diminutive as they are they represent a very comfortable ride as well right right now our next car i'm familiar with the sunbeam alpine i'm familiar with the sunbeam tiger i am not familiar with the 1961 sunbeam Harrington Alpine. So tell us about this car. Harrington, that is the name of a gentleman that said, you know what, I think I can take this car and I can go racing with it. And to do that, they put essentially a fastback on the car. Right-hand drive, this car, golly, this is what makes Amelia so special, Greg. We only have 90 cars in this sale. Excuse me, 100 cars in this sale on Saturday. But every one of them represents such incredible levels of restoration, preservation, or opportunity. I've seen this car multiple times. I've not actually had the chance to drive it, but I sure am when it gets there. (laughs) And it is simply jewelry. It sounds really good. Look at it, Greg. Have your listeners, everybody look at it and tell me that is not a baby. Aston Martin DB4, which, by the way, <laughs> the owner of this car is selling because he replaced it with an Aston Martin DB4. He said, that's why I bought it. It was like a DB4 mini-me, and now he has uh, the full thing. Harrington was the name of the gentleman that designed the car, took the car to Le Mans, Greg. These Harringtons have very special Le Mans history. Wow, that's really great, and that's a nice upgrade, you know, to go from that to a DB4. So kudos to him for sure. Well, now we're going to move out of the out of Europe. Well, no, we're not going to move out of Europe, but we're going to move to a bunch of different odd and ends cars, I guess is the best way to put it. The next one's a 1993 Porsche 911 Carrera RSR 3.8. Now, I know I cover a lot of Porsches on this podcast, and I don't want to go over on the Porsche world, 
but this is a really cool special car. Estimates 750 to 850, and now this is beautiful. It's limited production. Just a wonderful example of the 964. So what do you know about this car, Ramsey? Greg, I need your listeners to just ease up a little bit here. I know we get a little bit Porsche, 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 but come on, man. This is the (laughs) 3.8 RSR. Uh, This represents, and I know everybody has their opinion about where was the peak of the 964, and now you're talking about something that really at its very origins, its very purpose, I should say, was to be a race car. But bottom line is, this is the ultimate when it comes to performance, when it comes to just the, the, the peak and horsepower and engineering effort that Porsche put into that 964 model. It's the RSR, right? There's R, there's RSs, and, you know, there's really nothing after RS and that second R. This represents such a special car. Even if you're not interested, folks, take some time to look at these. You don't see real ones every day. And there's a reason everybody's building a copycat to look like it. Right. I totally agree with you on that point. Well, now we're moving on to to maybe the opposite of that car. And it's a 1981 Toyota FJ43 Land Cruiser. And I love these FJs. You know, I have a fairly new one, a 2014. I'd love to have an old one. And this is the one I would actually love to have. Estimates 110 to 140. It is no reserve. And the reason I would love to have this one is it's been restored by the FJ company. If you're not familiar with them... They do a wonderful job. They basically modernize it. So the internals, it's a new engine. It's a 4.5 liter fuel injected Toyota engine inline six with a five speed manual transmission. And they do a lot of cool things, including AC, you know, disc brakes, all the stuff you want to be able to drive it around comfortably, you know, in the heat, in the cold, whatever it may be the case. And uh, this is just a beautiful car that I would love to have in my own garage. How about you, Ramsey? Right. So I don't know about you, Greg, but I have had at least two clients already that have inquired on the car. And this is the conversation. Now, Ramsey, that's an FJ Cruiser car, right? Yes. Now, are you sure? That's FJ Cruiser, right? Those guys. I'm like, yep, that's them. And that's essentially the end of the conversation. I said, excuse me, FJ Company. FJ Company. That's what they ask. And I confirm it. And that's really the extent of the line of questioning because it represents. And there right, we talk about drivability. Uh, being able to use the vehicle. Even if you don't, you want to know that you can. And this represents that access. Right, right. And now as a car specialist, you and I both know we have a long list of cars that we would love to have in our garages. And obviously I just mentioned the FJ would be a great one. The other one is our next car, a 1970 Ford Mustang Boss 302. I'm a huge Mustang fan. I'm a Mustang judge. Boss 302s are one of my favorites. The 1970s specifically are one of my favorites. And this one's super cool. It's 75 to 85 grand. Grabber orange with black interior. All of them were four-speed, no AC cars. Just a high-revving V8 302 that was meant for racing. And if you're a fan of the Camaro Z28, they battled each other on the track. And this is, again, one I would love to have in my garage. Now, I'm not sure you would want it in your garage, would you, Ramsey? This is this is like your Aston Martin vanquisher. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I hope we each get one of those someday in our garage. Oh, that's a pretty special Mustang. They do sound delicious, don't they, Greg? Yeah, they're high rev Mustangs. Now, the next one, you might be wondering, why did I pick this car? It's a 1919 Pierce Arrow Series 31 four-passenger Roadster. Were you wondering that? A, a, a little bit. Here we are, pre-war, but I'm sort of excited when it comes to pre-war cars. Um, it turns out, Greg, I don't think we've had this conversation. My 
great-grandfather owned a Pierce Arrow. I still have pictures of my father sitting on the fender when he was a little tiny kid, my grandfather in the passenger seat. So I happen to be a fan of the PAs. That's interesting. Well, the reason I picked it is because when I interviewed Wayne Carini for his top 10 cars that would make it into his ultimate garage, I think it was even a 1919 car, but a Pierce Arrow made it into his garage. And not only that, it is one that he has already given to his five-year-old grandson. (laughs) So he had a great mindset about it. He's like, why wait until they're 20, 21, 31, 41 to give them a car? Why not give it to them now so they can enjoy it as they're growing up? And I thought that was just a wonderful way to look at it. I called my dad immediately, said, hey, you want to give me your little BMW today or not? And he chose not to, but that's okay. Anyways, that's why I picked it. You know, the estimate's 200 to 250 offered without reserve. And so we will have to see how the pre-war cars are doing in the marketplace. This one has some good history. It is a full classic certified. And that Mr. Wayne, he's uh, he's all class, isn't he, Greg? Yeah, sure enough. <laughs> well, speaking about class, now this is classy and fast. This is a 2008 Mercedes-Benz CLK 63 AMG Black Series. Now, I picked this car because... When you look at iconic cars from the early 2000s, mid-2000s, the Black Series have really been starting to take off because of their rarity, and they're just wicked looking. So what can you tell us about this car? I mean, you get all of the Mercedes-Benz quality. You get the build, and yet you get just unprecedented performance with the AMG. And then you get to write the ultimate iteration, or at least what they always wanted to be the ultimate iteration, and that's their Black Series cars. But you have to admit, it's just... What a great nomenclature. I got to hand it to him. The marketing team nailed that one. That's just powerful to say. Yeah, yeah, they're very cool. And now we are going back to the muscle car world with a 1965 Shelby 427 SC Cobra. Now, this is one of the CSX 4600 versions, so it's not one of the original 2000 or 3000 series cars, but still rare in its own right. And I picked this one. The estimate on this car is three hundred seventy-five dollars to $450,000. I picked this one because it was pretty cool. It's one of a trio of special AC Cobras built. This one is finished in hand-formed bronze, which is really nuts. Bare metal body. I believe the other one is, correct me if I'm wrong here, the other one is, well, obviously there's an aluminum one. And then what was the third one? Copper, wasn't it? It was copper, Greg. Just, I mean, if what you want to be is one of a kind, here is your car. <laughs> yeah, and these have a huge, not a 427, but a 511 cubic inch V8 with 650 horsepower. So the, as if those weren't powerful enough with the little 289s, now they have a 512 cubic inch engine in them. And it has all the stuff you want. It's got the stainless steel side pipes, the chrome roll bar, and the Halibrand style knockoff wheels, which are my favorite wheels on a Cobra. So it'll be interesting to see how that one fares, being such a unique build and one-off. Now, that was it for our Amelia Island review, but I did want to cover a couple cars, actually four cars, from our Open Roads May sale, which is online. You can see it live during the time frame of Amelia Island. It actually starts, I believe it's the Wednesday before and ends the Wednesday, Thursday after. 19th to the 26th is when the bidding opens. The cars are, the uh, catalog is closed. All the cars are online, and you can look at them now. Now, these four cars, we're staying with the muscle car trend here with the 1969 Dodge Charger Daytona. This one's estimate 275 to 325. I just love these Daytonas, and this is a gorgeous silver with black version. I'm curious to see what this one does. Muscle cars have started to go back up. There's actually been a couple articles out there. Uh, They never really went down that much, but they seem to be trending back up now. 
I do want to see what these Daytonas will do. Obviously, you can't miss them when they're flying down the road, right? If you close your eyes, you still can't miss them, right, Greg? They have <laughs> such an incredible sound. They are finding some appreciation and, and love again. But, Greg, let's let your listeners in on a little secret. At the moment, everything is finding some appreciation and lift. Good quality examples, which I believe this one to be, just finds a little bit more. I totally agree. All right, the next one you know a little bit about. I'd love to know more about it. It's a 1992 Land Rover Defender 110 fire truck, not something you see every day. I was the underbidder on a fire truck. Yes, folks, I got that little boy in me that wants to own a fire truck. Last year at Auburn Fall, and I wish I'd never seen this truck because I'm probably going to be the underbidder on this one as well. I mean, Greg, let's think about this. Not only is it a fire truck, it's a British fire truck, Greg. <laughs> so, I mean, I am in so much trouble when this bidding opens up. This thing is so much fun. I've been able to drive the car about 15 miles, a truck 15 miles, a real fire truck, and it's got these enormous floodlights. So you turn on the power takeoff, you hit the switches, which are in some other language, and these enormous floodlights go way up in the air, and then you can direct them. And I'm sorry, Greg, but I am telling you this is the single greatest tailgate tool you will ever have the opportunity to bid on, take it to your college football game, and you will have a party the moment it shows up. All night long, you can light up the whole parking lot. I swear this thing is too much fun. Another bonus is that it being a British truck, when the electrics catch on fire, you can put it out. Yeah, okay, Greg, yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going there with that, Greg. Everybody has, but nonetheless... <laughs> It's really something special. That was kind of a low blow. Sorry about that. That's okay. I expected it. <laughs> uh, let's see. The next one. Two more to go. The next one's a 1997 Toyota Supra Turbo 15th anniversary. Now, I'm not sure of the mileage on this car. I just wanted to bring it up. The estimate's sixty dollars to $70,000. I just wanted to bring it up because JDM cars are hot. They've been doing tremendously well, especially the Supra Turbo. So what do you know about this car? Right. This is that, like you said, that JDM. This is... How many times have we used this phrase? We didn't today, though, actually, but it's young timers. And that represents a market where people are buying the cars, people are using the cars. When your listeners get a chance to look at this, the blue is wow. This is a car that not only does what it actually is in its style make a big statement, but I don't know that I see many of them in this 15th anniversary color. It is really it pops, to say the least. It pops. It sure does. That is for sure. So the last car is another one to me that popped, which is why I picked it. It's an absolutely gorgeous 1967 Lincoln Continental convertible. I don't know the exact name of the paint, but it's a light blue. So think about that suicide four-door convertible rolling down the street. It is definitely an eye-catcher. Call, I call it bird's eye blue, bird's egg blue, baby. And I know that's, for all you Ford and Lincoln fans, don't shoot me i'm sorry if i didn't quite get the name of the paint right this car is an over-the-top automobile aaca award-winning car the back seat of the car when i went to see it greg it was from stem to stern awards and trophies and all kinds of things just filled up the car these are such neat automobiles you know the jump fault with this car 
People really do pour their hearts and souls as well as their wallets into some of these. And here's a card just like our auction manager, Gore Duff, just picked one up. Why? Because he can put all three kids in the back seat, the wife up front, top down, and you're going to be the coolest ride at the Dairy Queen on Friday night. This is this really represents a special opportunity. 67 too. Yes, and the estimate on this one is sixty to seventy thousand dollars. And honestly, I picked this one mostly because of the Cadillacs of this, the 50s and the 60s. We've really seen those come on pretty strong. We actually have some really strong ones in the Amelia Island sale, a couple of the uh, Baritzas and even a Brome. And I didn't want to you know, kind of retread some of the stuff we've already talked about. So I thought, you know what, let me pick the Lincoln Continental. That will be interesting to see how that one performs considering the Cadillacs of the same era have been doing pretty well. So I'm really curious to see the results on that one that is in our Open Roads May sale. So anything else you'd like to mention from an Amelia Island standpoint, Ramsey? Greg, I just want to make sure that if there's anybody out there hearing this, and I know we're just a few days away, if you have any time next weekend and there's any way you can get there, and by the way, we got plenty of petrol down here. Don't worry about it. Uh, (laughs) Just come and spend one day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all the days. It doesn't matter. The car collecting community needs to get back together again. We need to be that intimate family that we are. Every socioeconomic level, every age level, every interest level, Amelia is holy ground. And we're getting back together to celebrate what Mr. Bill has done there. We've got Lynn St. James as the Grand Marshal. There's manufacturers, there's collectors, there's auctions. It's just so important that we celebrate the car in person, Greg Stanley. Bloody. Yes, I cannot wait to see everybody in person, and you and I can grab a beer together and catch up, which will be great. Look forward to it, Greg. Thank you, thank you for letting me be a part again of the Collector Car Podcast. And please, folks, come up, find Greg and I, say hello. Thank you so much for your time today, Ramsey. Thanks, Greg. Happy motoring. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.